up, everyone? You're listening to Get Rich with Rich with your host, Rich and Tony, where we discuss, chat, and ramble about this week's finance topic. Our content ranges from personal finance, investing, getting out of debt, budgeting, business, and anything our viewers wanted to talk about. My name is Rich. And my name is Tony. And this week's topic is... Can you fire financial independence retire early? So Tony's going to briefly talk about what we're going to talk about throughout this episode. Yeah, guys, we got a great podcast today, and we're going to get to um, discuss some topics here. Uh, first of all, what is FIRE, and is it for everyone? Who is it for specifically? Do you have to be a high-income earner to uh, even consider taking the FIRE approach? Um, where to invest and how to save? Uh, some resources that you can use to learn more about FIRE, and we're going to go over our financial tip of the week, uh, how to lower your phone bill. And uh, we are joined, uh, privileged to have YouTuber, uh, finance YouTuber, Philip Stemberger with us today. I met uh, him in a Facebook group all about the FIRE movement, um, investing, and different things like that, and we started uh, talking, we hit it off, and I will go ahead and let him uh, introduce himself. Hi, Rich. Hi, Tony. It's a very pleasure for me to be here with you. But yeah, maybe a few words about myself. I um, was born in Belgium. Now I live in London in the UK. I kind of moved around. Um, and, you know, I wasn't born a natural investor or, or naturally acute about finance. But what I learned early in life is that having money gives you options. And therefore, since I've graduated in 2013, I was on a mission to add value to the world and, you know, how can I help people reach that financial independence? It's a path I'm on. on it's a path I'm on myself, but just trying to together and share the world uh, with the people out there. Yeah, and that's you know one of those things. I'm on that path. I know Tony is too, and just getting together and just sort of talking about this stuff and sort of letting you know releasing this for our audience, for other people too, to see what their thoughts are and, and opinions, especially on this topic. Now, this is not one that you hear all the time, um, so. Uh, as I, I talked about before, it stands for financial independence, retire early, and we're going to go into depth about that a little bit. We're also just going to sort of wide brush strokes and paint the surface of that too, because it could get complicated. So first, on my side, my research, um, the definition of FIRE and how to achieve it varies sort of based on what book you're reading, what article you come across, um, who you're listening to on the radio, but most commonly... Um, there are pillars of fire and they include creating a significant gap between what you make and what you spend. So this can mean increasing your income, decreasing your spending, or a combination of both of those would be ideal. Another pillar is using that gap to save and invest at a higher than average rate with the goal of generating enough returns from your investments to live off Another pillar is achieving financial independence at an early age. Most often, uh, it's going to be earlier than others. So in your 30s, in your 40s, instead of that uh, 60, 65, typical, well, now it's probably closer to like 70 um, retirement age that we see most people retiring at. Then the last pillar is going to be mathematically financial independence is usually defined as a net worth of 25 times your annual living expenses. So an example is someone who can comfortably live off a $60,000 per year income should strive to achieve a net worth of $1.5 million. 
So overall, we're aiming to obtain financial freedom as soon as possible through sound personal finance principles. So most proponents of this movement will tell you that it's not so much about retiring early as it is about like freeing up the time to, that you can be spending as you wish. So before hitting the tra traditional retirement age of 65, that, that is the goal, is how can we do that before then, have that time, and free it up. So this could mean cutting down on part cutting down a part-time work, leaving a nine-to-five job to start a business, or stepping away to raise children. So in fact, there are many suggested alternatives to the RE in the FIRE. So F-I-R-E, it's the RE that retire, retire early. So it could be financial independence, retire eventually. Those, you know, love their careers. They don't want to leave it, but they can and have that freedom too. Financial independence, recreational employment. So those who they can step away, but, you know, they rather just keep a low-stress part-time job because they're bored and they still want to have extra money uh, to spend, too. And financial independence, retire entrepreneur. And those people who, they, they could step away, but, you know, they rather start a business or try to be uh, self-employed, things like that. So it's often said that personal finance is personal, and FIRE is no different. The net worth number that equates to financial independence is different for every person in every lifestyle. So it's not going to be that same, that one number. Everyone's going to have their the path people can choose to take after achieving financial independence varies widely as definitions of fire. So we talked about just above, which ones do you want? So with all that being said, you know, what I sort of came up, Philip, if you can chime in, is that accurate? Is that, is that close? Um, what is that? What are your takeaways from that? Yeah, really great research. And you've, it's in the, the, the nail on the head. And I think, Fire for me is all about that uh, freedom of choice, being able to decide what do you want to do with your life. And more often than not, we see people living paycheck to paycheck, doing jobs that they don't really like, that they would like to, to leave, and they kind of hate their boss and kind of hate the situation they're in, but they've got bills to pay so they don't have a choice. And fire is, for me, an alternative to that is, you know, if I'm thinking digital nomad, can I travel and kind of just describe my experience and it's not exactly going to pay the bill, but I don't really need to? This is what FIRE is all about for me. It's really that freedom of choice and giving uh, the power back in, into people's life rather than working for your money. Uh, it's really having your money work for you. One of the things that I would be thinking about if this is the first time hearing this is if we're, if we're really saving that intense to retire instead of at 65 or 60 to retire at 30, is it, are we having any fun? Like, Do I have to sacrifice all the fun and enjoyment you know, throughout all these years of me, you know, saving and investing and living off of pretty much like nothing because all my savings is going to be going towards investing. Like, how how can I have fun and enjoy with that? Like, do I have to sacrifice everything? No, not necessarily. Once you understand the link between expenses, saving ratio, and the impact on your fire number, it's true that you can go down that rabbit hole of saying, I'm, I'm going to leave out of rice and beans and spend as little as I can. Therefore, I don't spend a lot of money. Therefore, I don't need a lot of money and I'm going to reach fire faster. But you don't need to do that. As I said, it's all about freedom and, and choice. If you want to reach fire very quickly in seven years or, or less, then you're going to need to save 75%. And there is no magic here. You're going to need to sacrifice and cut down on things. But if you're more comfortable reaching fire in 15 or 25 years, then you don't need to save as much and you can still have a lot of fun. But one thing I'd like to point out is that not everything funny or not all the fun in life has to be paid for. There is a lot of things I can do that don't take a lot of money. Um, you know, and you can either take part into some kind of event or there are groups out there, there are meetups. There's a lot of alternative on how to not spend 
money uh, stupidly and maybe you don't need to eat away um, or have a takeaway every day of the week. Maybe you can, you know, reserve that for the Sunday and cook at home for the rest of the week. There is a lot of easy savings to do and a lot of things that are a bit superficial. Do you need to change your phone every year? Do you need a new TV all the time? Those kind of things are just, you know, things to rethink uh, once you get into FIRE because you understand that link, as I said, between your saving ratio and um, how much your expense are and uh, to reach your FIRE number. Yeah, and I think a lot of people would be assuming that you have to be a high-income earner. Um, if I'm going to be retiring mm-hmm. in 20 years and I'm only making $30,000 a year, even if I'm saving 75% of that income, how is it possible that I can retire? So do they have to be a high income earner? Do I have to make a hundred plus thousand dollars, six figure incomes? Well, here as well, it's, it's a big misconception about fire. And it is true that having a high income can help you actually fire faster. You know, there is no secret here. It's all in your expenses and, uh, and the ratio between your expense and your income and the higher the income, the easier it gets. But when you can reach, I mean, the moment you reach fire and you can retire, you start having options. Some people will do uh, what's something called around the downsizing. So they're going to do a cost averaging arbitrage in terms of cost of life. And they're going to go living from an expensive place in the U.S., for example, if you live in New York. And they're going to go into uh, maybe somewhere on the countryside. Or they might even look at some countries like Portugal in Europe or even Thailand in Asia, where the cost of life is way high. I mean, it's way low, lower. So you don't need to have a high income. It helps for sure. But it doesn't mean that it's impossible to reach. And if your income is a bit low, then you can look at how can I increase my income, either by getting a raise or by setting some side hustles or just cutting on some of your expenses where you can. And I think the other thing that we have to think about, too, and this sort of ties into what the next question is going to be, is how do you know when you can retire and what percent you can live off of? And that's going to be the big question especially when we're talking about, you know, do you have to be a high income earner? It, it, it depends on what you feel comfortable living off of. Do I feel comfortable living off of 30,000? Can I survive? Can I survive off of 25,000? And then that's going to sort of differ between what is my goal going to be. So can you sort of talk a little bit about how do you know when you can retire and what that percent number is for uh, each individual? Yeah, that's probably the first question you're going to ask yourself when you think about fire. It's, how much money do I need to actually retire? And there is a bit of there is a bit of literature around that. And a lot of the time, it's about your expected expense at the moment of retirement. And that is something I personally have a bit of problem with. And I went into detail of that in some of my videos on my channel. But basically, estimating your expense, you know, when you're going to retire, so we're talking 10 or 20 years from now, is really hard. You don't know what your life will be. You don't know your situation. So. My approach has been to look at it slightly differently and asking myself, how much money do I need to receive every year to stop going to work? If I was to pay you 30000 a year, would you still want to go to the office? If I'm giving you 100000 a year, would you still want to go to the office? And once you've got that salary you want your money to pay yourself, then it's just a question of doing the reverse on the math. So typically what has been studied out there and you know, it's something which is well known into the FIRE community is... Um, the 4% rule, which means that you can withdraw 4% of your investment without ever running out of money, at least over a 30 period of time, which is what those studies have been mainly about. And here I'm referencing to the Trinity study, if anyone wants to, to dive a bit deeper in that. But that's basically saying that uh, if you have a, 
a reasonable mix of stocks and bonds, you're going to have more than 95% chance of not running out of money if you withdraw 4% per year. So now we can do some math, right? You want to receive, let's say, a 40,000 salary a year. You know you can withdraw 4% of your uh, portfolio to finance that salary every year. And you know that if you withdraw 4%, you're going to be safe. So what you're going to do here is take this 40,000, divide them by 4%, which is the same thing as multiplying by 25. And now we realize that if I have a portfolio, which is worth 1 million, that will generate enough money on the side for me to leave out of it without running out of money in the long term. So now the question really becomes, what salary do you want? And then you can compute the math, go times 25. And you know that's what we mentioned at the very beginning. That's what is commonly known. If you want to be more conservative, you don't want to take risk, you can go with 3% and therefore multiply by 30 or 35. Um, and that will give you how much money you, you need to live off of it. As I said, look at where you want to go and live. If you want to go live in a, cheap, in a cheaper place, that's going to be um, a lower salary required. The beauty of reaching fire is that your money is not tied to where you live. It's not tied to what you do. So you really have the freedom of movement. You have really the freedom of doing what you want. So I'm sorry, Rich. Yeah, let me go ahead and jump in here. So, I mean, for me personally, I don't know a lot about fire in the fire movement, um, retirement um, planning. But, you know, it, Rich mentioned that most people, hopefully the goal is to try to retire early, or at least um, in some instances, that's what people shoot for. So if you're looking to uh, create an investment portfolio that's going to pay you enough that you can live off year after year, um, the big question I'm asking is, you know, how does someone reach 1.5 million or, or whatever, or $1 million by the time they're 30 or 40 years old? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. And I think, um, again, it's something that, especially when I talk with people around me, I'm, I'm surprised to realize how, how little knowledge there is around that. But there is a nice book called The Millionaire Next Door that kind of explained that principle that basically your neighbor will be a millionaire in his life. If you look at a million dollar, that's 40,000 times 25 years. And I know 40,000 is not you know, everybody's salaries, uh, depending on your region and, and what you do, but that's just how much time it takes, right? So you're gonna make a million a year and there is different way to accumulate that money. Obviously you can start by saving mm -hmm. and that's one way of doing it. Uh, and for savings, you're gonna have to go into making a budget. You, know, you need to track your expenses identify your non-essential expenses, cut them, cut them, pay your debt, those kind of things. But then you can look at investing into potentially a property in a good area, but that is not you know, the, the fresher house or the fresher property you can find, and then you fix it. So if you buy a property and you need to look for that, but if it's, you, know, you buy it for 200,000 and you put a deposit down, then the property is actually worth 2,050. Then you do a fixing on it, you put another, let's go with, 20,000 for the math, and that will allow you to sell the property for 300,000 at the end of the day. We've now put 200,000 plus 20 to fix it, so 220, and we sell it for um, 300,000. So now we're making 80,000 here. Obviously, you're going to have to live in a house which is not you know, the, the fresher one, or you might buy a duplex and then you rent a room. And there is a lot of way to kind of um, in increase how much you can save or generate some revenue on the side. Some, you know, you can drive for Uber on the weekend and then that money goes into savings and there is an effect around compounding interest. So, you know, if you've got an interest that generates 7%, you will double your money every 10 years. So, you know, if you 
it, it really goes quickly. And um, that's probably how I will try to reach that there is just saving what I can doing, save investment. And they are, you know, they are probably better investment than others, but uh, right. yeah. It, and I think we're also looking at um, this is just one individual person. If you are in a household of two, maybe it's you and your spouse or you and your partner or something like that. Now you, you could maybe double some of that and maybe reach it even quicker. If you're both in that same like mindset of, hey, we should try to aim for this. Are we comfortable living off of, we'll use um, Philip's example, $40,000 per year. Can we make it off that? And we could go ahead and reach that $1 million even quicker. But one thing I think that we glossed over real quick, and I want to bring this back because I think it is important, mm-hmm. is you know referring to the Trinity study and that 4% rule. If you think, if I can save a million dollars, am I comfortable with living off of $40,000 a year? Now, and how is that done? That is done through investing that, and that's done through the, the study specifically pulled 50% going into stocks, 50% going into bonds, and there's a 90, was it 97% uh, percent chance that your money will never run out of those numbers. And that's not doing anything. That's literally sitting there and collecting money off the interests and the dividends and what that's generating. I think that that is very, very powerful to let people know the fact that you aren't putting more money in here. You're not collecting a paycheck. Is that million dollars that you saved up, that is generating you off of the stock market and you know the ups and downs of it. But the average is generating you 4% of that million, 40 grand every single year. Now, if you could double that, you know, now you're at 2 million, now $80,000 a year, your money is creating you and you don't have to even touch it. I think that that's, that's huge. And to your point, Tony, yeah. how to get there, you know, that, that's the biggest thing. Like how do people save this money and just start throwing it away in there so they can retire off that early. And I think we're going to touch about it in a little bit, but it's not necessarily, I need to get there, but it's that drive and that conservatism that's a word, um, that saying, you know what, I'm going to at least attempt and aim for something rather than just go through my life saying, I'll just save whenever I can. But it sort of gives you that goal. Um, sure. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, just, just to add on that, because we've just scratched on, on something and, and that's something that is actually very important is the fact that if I save one million, it's mm-hmm. not money to spend, you know, it's money to leave off. So that saving is not exactly i mean it's not exactly a saving and you shouldn't look at it that way and for me that's kind of a lesson i got when i was quite young uh with my dad when he was like oh um you know that previous house we lived in he told me well we've rented it and i was like well why you didn't sold it and then you had plenty of money to go on holiday and he was like well because by renting it now every morning when i wake up i've got 20 dollar on my uh nice stand table and like what do you mean you got 20 dollar it's like well yeah Someone is living in the house and they pay us every month. And if I put that on a daily basis, every time when I wake up, there is $20 there for me to go and and have my day. And that's really how I look at my money now. I'm saying, okay, I'm putting $10,000 into my saving account or in my investment account. Then if that comes down to a 4%, then that means that every month I've got a few dollars on my nightstand. And I like to look at these dollars and be like, guys, you're going to go to work and you know bring bring your brothers and and grow and <laughs> that's really the goal behind fire I'm, I'm not looking at am i gonna save a million and i'm gonna be a millionaire and i'm full of cash and i'll buy a lamborghini and you know just spend all of it i'm looking at for every thousand dollar i'm saving 
that's forty dollar every year that's gonna come into my bank account. So that's you know around three dollars and something every every month. And you're not gonna go very far with that, but you know the first thousand that's basically a, a free slice of pizza every month. And then you know you got two thousand, and now you can have a pizza and a coke, and you know it, it builds up slowly. Right. And and you touched on something really cool there. I love your story, Philip. Um, is that you know make your money work for you, right? I mean, that's what smart people do. That's what people who want to be financially independent do. You have to find a way to take the money that you've saved and make it earn money for you. I mean, that's the goal I think everyone should have. To your point earlier, Tony, and this will roll into the sort of next question too, is how do we save that much money? So right. we, we talked about, you know, you brought that up there. Um, and one of the things that I would suggest is going back and listen to our, our podcast Going even from the very first one that we, we, we launched is seven investments that will make you a millionaire. And a lot of those, they weren't monetary things. They weren't invest in Amazon stock. It was sort of invest in yourself, invest in your education, like keep learning because then in return, like that's one of the best investments that you can make is in yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you start to understand and you start to, to realize, understand your finances, you know, that in turn will create more revenue for you. So I think that that's one thing, but also we talk about, you know, making that budget, knowing where your expenses are going every single month, instead of having all these subscriptions, trimming money. Um, we talked to uh, Dr. Zach uh, Taylor the other day, uh, last week, you know, talking about if you can go into a grocery store and figure out when the markdown on meat is, when the markdown on the bread, um, go to the Aldi, look at generic foods. If you can start saving a hundred dollars, a month off your grocery bill, that's you know twelve hundred dollars a year. Then you could start putting those into investments. As we're talking about compounding interest, that's going to in thirty years generate to hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's what we're going to be using down the road when we're talking about fire. Is the, those small little wins? That seven dollars per, uh, per uh, subscriptions on a Hulu or, or ten dollars. Mm -hmm. You start investing those instead of having to watch TV. That's going to give those big wins down the road, even though they're small little things now. Um, right. Making sure that you're debt free. So trying to figure out, am I going to do the snowball method or am I going to list my debts and hit the highest interest? Like, am I going to be doing that? That way, once I'm debt free, that's when you can really start you know, speeding up the, that savings. As long as you, you start off with a plan. That's the biggest thing is try to start off with a plan of how you can start saving and trimming down your expenses and then also bumping up your income. And then that difference, as we sort of mentioned before, is what you're investing in to help speed up so then you can become financially independent. Are there any suggestions that you all might have to how to save some of that money? Um, go ahead. Go yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things, but I think we've touched on, on, the, on the main one, right? Mm -hmm. we, need, we need a budget. We need to get um, debt three. I mean, a debt is, you know, if you've got a debt at 10% for every thousand, that's another $100 you need to pay every year just because you own that debt. And that's 100 that won't bring you any money back. And, you know, now you can't put sauce on, on that pizza, right? <laughs> because yeah. you can't afford it. And it's, it compounds negatively as well. So, no, that's, that's really important. I think something I've started when, when I first get out of school and starting earning my first salary was to follow something along the line of the 50-30-20 rule, where I would use 50% of my salary for paying things like the essential, like, you know, my rent, my utilities, uh, gas for the car, insurance, those kind of things. Then I would use 30% uh, 
on pleasure, you know, buying clothes, my Netflix subscription, uh, having fun and going out with friends and all of those things. And then I would put 20% in saving. And the secret here is not really to use a, a 50, 30, 20, is to realize that that 20 is the most critical part. So I never saw those 20% because the things I did, and that's probably, you know, if there is only one thing to remember on how to save money is to pay yourself first. And that could, we can have a whole conversation about just that and the effect of that. But the first thing you do when you receive your salary is you pay yourself first. You put those 20% into a saving account um, and then, you know, you just leave them there. They don't even exist. And then you got the rest, you leave out of it. If you got something at the end of the month, great, you can save even more. And over time, maybe you'll switch from a 30, 20 to 20 for fun and 30 for savings because you're going to get pay raise or other you know, other side income or whatever the reason is, but you need to pay yourself first. That would be my f main takeaway on how to save money, pay yourself first. And that's why they tell you when you're setting up your HR paperwork for that first job or second job or your new job is allocate money to your retirement before you get your first paycheck. Because mm -hmm. if you don't see that money in the very first place, once you get your paycheck and it's two, 3,000, whatever that is, you don't know it's missing because you never had it to have that drop. You never got like 25 and then all of a sudden it was 2000 um, that next month. So like they always say, you know, set that up first. And, uh, Tony, we're going to join in. Yeah. The, the one big thing that I would recommend for everyone and something that I wish I would have done a little bit earlier is, is really just start at a young age. You know, um, even if you're following a 50, 30, 20 budget, uh, you know, that 30% are things you want, right? If you can cut down that 30% to 10%, then you, instead of contributing 20 to a savings, you have 40%. And that's going to, that's doubling your savings with compounding interest and things like that. If you're, if you're diversifying and using some of that to invest in, in stocks, bonds, whatever it may be, you're really going to see that money jump in a huge way uh, over the course of 10 years. So start, start at a young age, I, I really think it would be the best thing to recommend to anyone. And last uh, point I want to make before we jump into the next question, um, and Philip, you alluded to this before, is real estate. So real estate is another option if we're learning how do I save this money. But the more you know, don't just jump into something. Make sure you really take the time to read some books, listen to some podcasts, listen to um, take some free online courses or whatnot But before you dive into that. Uh, but it is one way to generate some more income. Downgrading. We talked about this in the last episode. Downgrading your car. Downgrading your house, seeing, do I have too much of this? How can I maybe get rid of one car completely? If I'm a family and we have two cars, do we need this? Is it possible for me to take some public transportation? What, uh, what else is there out there for me? Can I move closer to work? Can I rent for cheaper somewhere where it's closer to work? So think about those. Getting a, a side job or a side hustle that, that you're doing, different things like that. You know, you, you Listen to our other podcasts. We have a bunch and, of them. And I'm sorry, Rich. Go ahead and finish off. No, I'm just going to jump to the next question. What were you going to say? Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. Before we go to the next question, I had a question for Philip because he, he's uh, kind of our subject uh, matter expert here. And I was just um, going to ask him, you know, if someone is considering uh, go shooting for fire, right, shooting for the fire retirement movement, um, what percentage typically of their income should they be putting aside towards, um, you know, planning for this early retirement? Um. It's kind of a hard Honestly, I, would, I know. <laughs> I, would, I mean, I would say as, as much as you can, but it's, it's not really about how much you save. It's really um, your saving ratio. And okay. the difference here is not about saving 20% of, of your income. It's, I mean, it is about 20, saving 20% 20 of your income, but it's not about saving 
20,000 a year, it's about how much of your income you save. Because if you leave on 20% of your income, the remaining 80%, which is four times what you've spent, can go into financing your, your lifestyle later. So for every year you manage to do that, you've now paid for another four years of that lifestyle going forward. And, you know, there is, there is a, a blog I like to read around uh, the FIRE movement, which is done by Mr. Money Moustache, and it's a great read. And he has done a research beyond, um, you know, a much saving ratio you need and what's the impact. And, you know, if you save 100% of your saving or, or your income, you don't spend any money, you're already retired, you're done. You know, that's that easy. And if yeah. you save 0%, you're never going to make it. Um, but if you want to be realistic uh, and get that fast, like under a decade, so you start in your 20, you retire in your 30s kind of things, you need to save 75%. I think that's maybe a bit high, especially if you want to still enjoy a bit of life and not have to cut on everything or if you don't have a high income. Mm -hmm. Something I think which is more realistic is probably to be anywhere between 40 to 50%. And that will mix, you know, 25 to 17 years of, the, of workforce life. And it might seem like a lot, 50%, but, you know, we can start at 40 and it might be 20% of the salary you receive, but it might be a 401 contribution. Your employer might match to that. So please go and max out. You might have a rough ISA that you can go and max out as well. There is 403 or 405 or whatever account you've got there, guys. But, you know, that's the kind of things you can do in the first part. There is tax benefit that you can use to kind of maximize that ratio. Right. And now I'm touching on a couple of things that, you know, are a bit deeper. But the goal here is the more you save, the faster you're going to get. But then it's look at the math behind it. Look at what is reasonable for you. In my case, I'm aiming around 20 years, more or less. And that means I need to save between 40 to 45% of, of my earnings. I'm not exactly there yet, but I'm working on it. Yeah. And one of the things that you, know, you talked about, it really depends, like, do you want to be that 75%? Do you want to be the 40 to 50? What is realistic for you? And it is not for everyone. We can't say 100% like savings rate for every single person, and that's how you fire. For me personally, sure, I'm going to aim for 100% if I can save it, but realistically, it's not going to happen. And But I'm going to lean more conservatively to say I'm going to try to do that, and that way if I fall short and I hit 90, if I hit 80, if I hit 70 – okay, at least I'm aiming and that's giving me a purpose. It's giving me a mission. It's giving me a goal to aim for. So I'm actually going to jump around and say, you know, is it right for everyone? How do you know if fire is right for you? Because somebody might be thinking or listening to this and they're saying it's, it's not possible. There's no way I, uh, you know, mortgage, I have credit card debt. I have um, a family of five, you know, X, Y, and Z just lost my job, all these different things. And we're not saying everybody should fire, but how do you know if it's right for somebody? And looking at those, those core concepts, I want to sort of talk about that. So, Philip, how would someone know if this is right for them? Yeah, and you're right here. Fire is not for everybody, or at least not everybody will do the same fire. I think it's more that way. And, you know, we've mentioned around this different way of doing fire, and, and that's key as well. When I'm saying save 75% and you retire in seven years, that means... If you save 75%, you retire in seven years without any other source of income. If you decide to go to a part-time job and work, you know, um, only mornings or, or four days a week or three days a week, then your fire number will be lower because you still have an income. So you might reach seven years with only a 50% saving rate or even less, simply because you're going to replace part of your income with that passive investment. So 
it's not for everybody, but I think the principle are for everybody. Looking at how do I get more than just my paycheck to paycheck situation, you know, things like an emergency fund, which is, you know, part of the, of the wider uh, financial education, but you need to look at saving more than your six to 8%, which is the recommendation, because that will take 50 years or 55 years for you to retire. And that's basically what you're looking at. And if that's your goal, then it's completely fine. If you're anything below 6%, then you probably won't have the retirement you think you're going to have. And anything above that is just pure benefit. So for me, it's about the principle and how much can I save? How much can I generate on the side? And it might just be building a saving net so you can send your kids to college. They don't have that debt to start with and that's your gift to them and you want to save for that. It's you know different goals, different objective, but it's not for everybody, but everybody can take something away from fire. Yeah, and, and one of those things, we are just sort of giving listeners, here's another option. This is what people talk about. If you're interested, we're going to give you some resources to get involved and to talk to more people who are in this. It, and it isn't for everybody, but it's just another alternative. And that's sort of what we're here and just showcasing what people are talking about out there. So now if we're on track, we're going we're gonna to aim for something. Hopefully maybe you know, it's 50% or more where are we going to be investing? So where would you suggest that people are going to be parking their money? Yeah, I think the first thing I want to put out there is I'm not a financial advisor, right? So that's what I'm doing with my money. But you obviously need to do your own research and look into your situation. But in general, you would invest money that you're willing to lose. Uh, you shouldn't invest any money you might need if you got a medical emergency, if your car breaks down, because if the market goes down and you need to the money right away, you might be in a worse position and you started with. Now that that's out of the way, there is a couple of things in which I think you should be looking at investing. The stock market, definitely a place to invest. There is really cheap option there. There's something called ETF, which is a low cost fund that kind of mirror the market that gives you a perfect way to diversify and have multiple companies with only one purchase. If I was to put everything in Tesla, I would probably have made a killing. If I do that at the wrong moment and they lose 6%, then it's really hard to kind of balance that. So that's you know the problem if you try to cherry pick. So the stock market is a great option for me and I'm investing into that, but I'm not just investing into the stock market per se and or in shares. I'm also investing into bonds, which you know can be corporate or government. I think I like the government a bit more. I don't think the US government will ever go bankrupt. Well, that being said, we never know, but you know, yeah. for me that's 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 a great option. And they tend to have a relationship where when shares go down, bonds tends to go up or at least provide some stability. So there is a, a mix there. And we've, you know, we've mentioned the Trinity study, and they actually found out that if you have a mix of 75% stocks and 25% bonds, that's why you've got the best chance of never running out of money. So bonds definitely has a part in that. In my case, I really like real estate. I think that's a, an awesome way to build wealth, especially because you can fix the, the house, you can enjoy equity or appreciation. You can have a tenant to pay the mortgage. I mean, there is, again, a full conversation to have there, but that's another way of doing it. If you want to look into it, I would like, I mean, I would recommend you to go into a fixer upper. Uh, every couple of years, you move in, you fix you make a profit, then move out to another area. And the, the last thing, and it's a variation of the stock, and it's still paying shares, don't get me wrong, but it's a bit different. It's looking at things like dividend. And a quick run through here, a dividend is a part of the profit that a company is giving back to whoever owned the shares simply because they own the shares. If you look at a company like Coca-Cola, there's only so much research they can do, so much cash they need to give it away. Um, and that's what a dividend is all about. And 
So this is great because a company who's paying me dividends will give me that salary every quarter or every year. And I don't have to look at the stock. I don't have to sell it. I don't have to buy it. If the market goes down, I don't need to sell. I'm still going to receive my payment. They can suspend the dividend. But mostly, they won't do it. It's kind of a last resort kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's one way to get that passive income. And that's, well, all, all conversation we can have. But if you look at dividends, you can look at having them at different moments in time from different company. So every month, you receive a bit of money. And that's really, you know, kind of go behind that idea of a, of a salary. That is something I'm looking into, and I'm building my own dividend uh, portfolio as well. But it's just a mix, and that's just different area of where should you go and, and learn about, where should you go and invest yourself into. There is a lot of knowledge to gain there, and you need to be careful going there if you don't know what you're doing, because it's also very easy to lose money there. Yeah, and diving a little bit more into dividends, but not that we need to at all. Um, but it, it is interesting when you think about it. Now, if I am getting paid dividends from a um, mutual fund or from a certain stock or a company or things like that, if I'm getting paid those, I can then choose to reinvest those dividends into uh, that same fund or I can withdraw them and put them in my pocket for spending. So when you think about that, it, it will actually speed up your savings if you're reinvesting those dividends. If the company, you know, maybe you got $1,000 invested in that, that company, they're saying, you know, they're paying out quarterly, here is 50 bucks, here's $40, here's 10, whatever that might be. If you put that going back in there, then you're thinking, well, there's, no, there's another way I can make more money is by investing in some of these higher dividend paying companies, but do your mm-hmm. research beforehand. And then that way, you're throwing more money into your savings or your in your investments that's going to get interest and then grow and grow and grow down the road. So some people have their portfolio just of high paying dividend stocks and they're just reinvesting that or you know in there. But it really just depends. Do some more researching on it. Find out if it is the right decision like for you and how you want to involve that with your uh, total portfolio. But yeah, those were um, great points and different, different ways to invest. And we talked about a couple of those in our previous episode, but we are going to eventually, we'll talk about diving into each one of those exclusively for a whole episode, just for some more in-depth information, because just running right through and just talking about one of them real quick, like we sort of did, it, it's great, but there's so much more that people need to know before they get involved in some of these. But these are great options where people go ahead and research this. Absolutely. And there are things we haven't even touched because I think they're just too risky, but things like peer-to-peer lending, cryptocurrency, uh, investing in startups and some platform below that, that's, that's gambling. And I'm not really into that, so I've just touched on what I think is a safer way. But there is so many ways you can then invest and try to make more money out of it. Completely agree there. That's that's a good point, Philip, too. And it seems like based on the information we went over today, the fire movement, if you're considering that or, you know, shooting for fire, then you're probably not going to be wanting to take those riskier investments. You kind of want to set out a specific plan that you can follow based on the average market returns that's going to get you to your goal so you can start living off that 4%. Yeah, absolutely. You can still reserve a portion of it for a bit of gambling or high risk. But yeah, the bulk of it, you know, should be should be a relatively safe investment. You're not looking for maximum growth, or at least not towards the end of it, at the beginning maybe, to try to fast track it. But towards the end of it, you're really looking at um, that security, that kind of recurring growth and kind of safe investment, um, just to make sure you can live out of it. So one might ask, um, are people in the fire community lazy? 
do they hate their job? Like, what's going on with this? How come they want to quit work so bad where they're willing to, you know, shovel their income up to 75% and more into investments just so they could be done with it? And so what what is your comment on that? What are your thoughts on that? Like, do these people really want to work? Yeah, it's an interesting uh, point you're making here. And I think it's another one of this misconception of thinking that, you only do fire if you just want to be lazy and stay at home playing Xbox all day. I think mm-hmm. for me, the question is not really retiring from work, but, re- but rather retiring into something. You know, if you're really into photography and you want to go and, and try to be a photographer, your chance of success are really slim. But if you don't need the money, it doesn't really matter. You can still go and try it. If you want to go and, you know, do a, a part-time job that doesn't pay really well, but just because it gives you that social interaction and just because you don't want to be stuck in the office all the time, you can do it. If you want to spend time with your family because you just got children and, you know, between the age of zero and 10, that's really when you want to enjoy your kids to the maximum. And that's why you want to be at home with them. If you want to take a leap year and travel the world, some, some people do that as well. And that's for me, as we said, plenty of time already, but it's all about choice. And I wouldn't say it's for lazy people. I would say it's for really dedicated people that have an objective because it's not easy to save that much. And if you don't have something to motivate you, if you don't have that fire in, inside of you, it's going to be really hard to save that much money just to stay at home playing the Xbox. Um, I, I don't think that that's going to do it. Yeah, and I was thinking about this question. I'm thinking in my head, you know, maybe in the beginning there are somebody who gets a job and the first job out of college or something like that or just the first job in the workforce and they might not like it they might enjoy that they're like i don't want to do this for the rest of my life so let me just you know go above and beyond to save so i don't have to but then eventually when you start working at that job there's pay raises there's promotions and you might find something that you do like doing because you're going to be doing professional development extra trainings and networking with people around you in that same you know a company or a corporation and so it might leapfrog you into something that you actually do enjoy doing. So maybe in the beginning they don't like it, maybe, but down the road they might find some of their passion areas. And I think that's the whole, you know, the premise is that financial freedom, that it, it lets you find those passions like you were talking about, like photography and not having to worry about, you know, my overhead and everything like that. It's like, no, I know the money's coming in. I don't have to work. Now I have the freedom to think about what it is that I want to do because I have this time. So it's not that I'm going to be lazy and do nothing. But now I can actually start looking at my hobbies and developing those passions and creating something out of that. We're talking about before with the, with the, um, the RE piece, you know, financial independence, retire um, early. It could, you, know, you switch those around, retire entrepreneurship. So now it's like I'm retiring. Let me see what I want to go. That's hopefully going to generate me more revenue as well. But I mentioned this before too. It also gives you a goal to work towards. So it's something that you can – Used to sort of like bolster what you what you already have. It's like I'm working for this goal. I'm trying to save 75 percent, or I'm trying to retire at age 30 or 40, whatever that is. And that way, like you have that you know drive inside you to go do that. And if you come up short, okay, but at least you you're working towards something. I think it gives you that flexibility in life. I, yeah, I think. I'm sorry, uh, Philip. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that's you know that's that's the old goal there. And for some people, and I, I know some of them even once they reach that financial independence threshold, they don't do the retirement piece, but they know that they are saved. They know that if they lose their job, they'll be saved. It just relieves a lot of stress from knowing that, you know, you need to make it, you need to get your job, 
especially in the current context, a lot of people have been worried or they lose their job and they're wondering how I'm going to make uh, ends meet. Where once you reach financial independence, you know that you've got that safety net. You know that you can see it coming and then you can decide to do what you want. Either you keep walking and a lot of people do that because there is always that fear of running out of money and they kind of like the job. But for some people, it's giving back to their community. It's doing some mentoring. It's doing you know what they're really passionate about. And I think that's that's one of the great things about FIRE. I myself looking at doing passions of mind and maybe doing some mentoring rather than sticking to my nine to five, going to the office and, and, you know, just doing the rat race. And I think we call it the rat race for a reason, right? Yeah, definitely. It, it, it seems like, at least for me, the whole movement itself and everything is about just having freedom, you know, the freedom to do what you want with your time, not have to worry about that financial aspect of your life. Just knowing once you reach that threshold, you're good. And, you know, you brought up a good point, you know, some people who lose their jobs and how am I going to make it? You know, hopefully you have an emergency fund that can cover, you know, three, six, nine months of your expenses. But if you're shooting for fire, you know, fire, I I don't know how they typically um, word that, but the fire movement, whatever it is, if if you're able to reach your goal of that, you, you know, that's something you can just cross off your list that you don't have to worry about. If you lose your job, if something does happen, you're always going to have that income that can support your lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, extra extra butter uh, in the spinach. Or I'm not sure that's really an expression that translates well from French, but that's, you know, that's <laughs> that's the kind of thing that bring that. It's just a bit of extra luxury. And yeah, having, the, having that freedom is, is just cherry on, on the cake. And that's something I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. Now before I run into some resources um, for anybody out there who wants to get more involved or learn more about this, are there any last, uh, last minute words or thoughts that you want to chime in real quick, Philip? Uh, no, I think we've said everything we need to say about this, right? It's it's about freedom. It's about um, investing in yourself and understanding the, the relationship between your expense and your savings. It's understanding that, um, you know, you don't have to walk all your life. You can actually retire a bit earlier or maybe switch to a part-time job and just enjoying life a bit more. Um, it's, at the end of the day, just about choice. And if you decide to embark on this journey, there is a lot of questions you're going to have. You're going to you know, not just how much do you need, but how do I get there? What kind of investment is right? How do I make sure I'm not running out of this? Oh, I've heard that. Is that something I could consider? Yada, yada. And maybe a bit of shameless, of shameless promotion here, but that's the kind of topic I'm addressing on my own channel because I've started this journey and I'm not that much ahead of, of anyone else, right? So it's an excellent thing to look into and it's just an alternative. And when I'm looking at Digital Nomad and some people I knew that walk for six months, and then they take all of that money as a, as a part-time job or even a full-time job just for six months. And then they go and travel for six months in Asia and then they come back and rinse and repeat. I'm wondering at some point, your health will make you stop that. And then what happened? You know, you can't just do that until forever. What about you don't do that for the first 10 years of your life? You make some sacrifices there, but then you can have another 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or forever of traveling around. And, and when your health is saying stop, then you can settle down somewhere and, you know, you know, you took care of yourself and you covered and that is peace of mind. And that's financial independence, I guess. So some of these resources you know, that, that we have, um, YouTube, right? YouTube channels. And it, it, uh, what is uh, yours where people could reach you at? Phil? Yeah. So, so mine would be my name, Philip Stenberger. I think if you type saving mindset, you'll find some of my video, just how to fire your boss. I, I'll be there somewhere. Um, 
but yeah, that's that's one. There's a couple of others. Uh, you know, things like uh, outreach journey, which is probably one of the biggest one um, in the communities. There, there's a couple of financial channel which are not exactly about uh, fire, but it's all about your your finances. There is a lot of resources out there. And we're going to link your um, YouTube to our show notes as well, along with some of the other ones I'm about to mention is where people can go through and click on some of these um, podcasts. We talked about you know, YouTube channels, uh, but podcasts such as the one that we are you're listening to right now, Get Rich with Rich, but also the Bigger, uh, Bigger Pockets Money podcast. Uh, there are blogs out there. You mentioned Mr. Money Mustache, Afford Anything, Choose FI, Mad Fientist. There's documentary, so it's called Playing with Fire. It's a documentary all about the movement and everything like that. There are books you could read, um, Your Money or Your Life, The Millionaire Next Door, which uh, you referred to earlier too, The Simple, Simple Path to Wealth, Set for Life, and then also Facebook groups. So type in fire just in Facebook and you can get into groups and things, and that's how uh, Philip and I met. Um, so those are some of the resources that we're going to that we covered, and we'll link all of those in our show notes as well. Um, for some of the listeners out there. Next, we're going to jump right into the finance tip of the week, which is going to be how to lower your phone bill. So there are nine easy steps that you can figure out out there. If you think you're paying way too much, here are some things. Take these notes. Um, I'm just going to sort of go right down the line and feel free to dive in and research more about these. But the first one is you'll switch to a new cell phone carrier. Basic, simple. But see what else is out there. What are other people offering? Go shop around. Go talk to them. Um, look online. Do all of that research uh, to make sure that, like, are you, do you have the cheapest one? What else is there? That meets your needs, too. Uh, number two, find a new plan with your existing provider. So a lot of times they'll have different plans. Like you might be at AT&T or Verizon, but there's different sort of um, categories of a family plan or a shared something plan. See what else is out there. You could sort of, there's always new ones coming up too if you want to just hop on to something different. Number three, shop for phone deals because now we know that phone is, the phone itself is a big part of what your expenses are per month with your plans. Everyone's either leasing a phone or they're paying an extra 10, 20, or they have certain promotions, but then you have to turn that back in and then you release it after that, a different phone. So you always have this little maybe $10, $15 charge on month after month. Um, maybe there's a place to give you a free phone if you, you come and you don't have to lease it. So think about that when you're there. Um, number four is keep your phone longer. We talked about this a little bit in one of our other episodes about technology, but see how long, if you have the iPhone 8 or the iPhone 6 or 7, how long can you keep that so you don't have to get that new one and pay thousands of thousands of dollars? Or can I look online on eBay, on Craigslist, on Facebook Marketplace, do I could buy a used one and keep that longer? Um, number five, join a family plan. The more people you have on your plan, it reduces the lines. And sometimes you don't even have to be a family. There are some plans out there that saying bring up to, up to 10 people and they'll all be charged with their own bill. So if they don't pay, you don't get faulted for it. There are things out there like that where you have to get people sort of join in all together. Um, number six is sign up for auto pay. A lot of times you might save an extra $5. I mean, it, it adds up. But $5 if you sign up for the auto pay feature where it just comes out of your, um, either with your debit or your checking every single month. Number seven, see if you qualify for any special discounts. Pretty much every phone carrier, they have a discount with your employer. Um, it, it depends on what, where you're working. Is it government? Is it for the city? Um, they have things 
if you're a student, like discounts and, and whatnot. So see what types of uh, benefits they offer for that so you can have, have those savings on. Number eight, this is sort of like a, a, an easy one, but buy a phone case because it's going to drop eventually. And if it breaks and you don't have the insurance on there, that's more money out of, out of pocket. Um, number nine, get free cell phone insurance. So figure out how can I get this free cell phone insurance. Look that up. There are some great articles I'm going to show you how to do that. So those are the uh, nine different ways where you can be saving on your, your phone bill for our financial tip of the week. Rolling right into the quote of the day. So our quote of the day today is, character is how you treat those who can do nothing for you. When I sort of think about that, it's just sort of like that's sort of how I live my life. That's how I present myself is, you know, I don't expect anything in return when I'm out there um, working when I'm with customers and things like that, it's just like I'm going to be the best person that I can be without expecting something in return. And I think if, if we start taking that mindset on things, on how we, how we live our life, I just think it's just going to bring us nothing but, you know, greatness and good and make us feel good inside. And then in return, you know, down the road, um, I, I think it's just going to be more satisfying. You know, thoughts about that? Yeah, it's oh, – sorry. It's, it's a great quote. It's a great quote. It's – it's everything about, you know, giving more than you ask. And it's about providing value to people and being being the best person you can be. And that's really a good mark of the character. You've seen very often people that rate people lower than them on the social ladder, like very badly. And you just don't want to be, be I don't want to do business with them because they just don't have the, the core value I'm looking for. And you never know, right? Sometimes the people who are lower than you on the business ladder, on the business ladder, people lower than you on the social ladder, will be the people who will bring you business opportunity or they know someone who knows someone and you never know what the future will bring. So yeah, great quote and a great judge of character. When you go out with someone, look how they treat servers or people opening doors or any kind of, you know, or they trade the little hands and the nobody. That's really how you can judge someone really quickly and easily. Yeah, I, I like this quote of the day as well. I mean, I, I was always raised, you should always treat people the way you want to be treated in life. And and, the, you know, we're all humans. We're all living on the same planet. We all got the same 24 hours in a day, as we've mentioned in other episodes. And it's just, it's, you know, you want to be known as a person who who's always treats other people with respect. And, I, you know, I think everyone should take a note from that. I think even on this podcast that we know we started is, you know, I, my mission is to deliver financial education to anyone out there that just wants to listen to it. And, yes, I might not be 100% accurate every single time. Um, I, I try my best. I do my research. But that gesture of me doing that and not expecting anything in return, um, just the fact that you know, maybe someone is just going to be able to just listen and, and take that advice and hopefully be successful down the road because I don't think it's shared enough out there. Um, you know, one of the reasons that I just want to create this just because I want to give and that's sort of just my, my personality is just trying to help others not expecting something in return. Rolling into the summary recap to close this off. Yeah, so the summary of today's episode, uh, we went over what is FIRE, so financial independence, retire early. Um, who is it for? It's really for anyone who wants to have financial independence at a younger age rather than waiting for the typical retirement age of like 65. Um, we covered that you don't necessarily have to be a high income earner, but it does definitely help. Um, we covered the Trinity study and where to invest and how to save. You want to shoot for typically not not even just how much you're saving but a high savings ratio and then um you know you typically want to shoot for a 75 percent stock uh 25 bond or a 50 50 setup to reach your goal 
uh, we went over some resources that we can just use and, you know, obviously our financial tip of the week. Hopefully that uh, resonated with some of our listeners. Thank you. And our episode today was um, inspired by Bigger Pockets. So I went on their blog sites, did some research to find some of uh, the, the tools that I use today. And that pretty much uh, wraps up episode number seven. And if you enjoyed listening, we ask that you give it a thumbs up, subscribe, or follow. And oh, yeah. Please share this episode with family and friends if you found it beneficial. Also, don't forget to leave a review and comment on what topics you want us to talk about for these upcoming weeks. And once again, a special thanks to Philip uh, for helping us out, joining on here. Everyone go visit his YouTube channel. There's some great content on there. Um, And that does it. See ya.